as far as the building boom in the United States. Both the National Association of Realtors and the National Association of Home Builders has revised its forecast to indicate that we'll be in uh, a very, very uh, long-standing upside to the construction industry through 2029. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling by holding in-depth conversations with forward thinkers from the design and construction industry, as well as other folks who simply know a lot of good stuff. Each episode of Construction Disruption digs into an industry that's always evolving with new products, designs, practices, and technologies. Construction Disruption, of course, is created and sponsored by Isaiah Industries, a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries. Our co-host is our sales manager, Seth Heckeman. And then we also have creative director, Ryan Bell, and content creator, Ethan Young, as our behind-the-scenes production team. So, Seth, I have to tell you, um, did something I haven't done in a long time this past weekend. I went out and bought an aquarium and two fish to put in it. Really? Have not had fish in a long time. I enjoy watching them. It's very peaceful. Um, I decided they needed names, but yet they say you really shouldn't give them real personal names and get too attached to fish. They don't have the longest lifespans necessarily. So I named the one fish one, and I named the other fish two. That way, if one fish dies, I still will have two. (laughs) Okay, that's your dad joke of the day, but dump bump Okay, hey, thanks so much uh, for joining us here again on Construction Disruption. Today's guest comes to us on great recommendation uh, from a previous Construction Disruption guest, Universal Design Expert, Rosemary Rossetti. Um, Our guest today is Robert August. Robert is the president of North Star Synergies, uh, and he's also a renowned national and international real estate strategist. Over the last 40 years, Robert has helped merchandise more than 25 billion, yes, billion with a B, dollars worth of residential, resort, retail, recreational, commercial, institutional, industrial, and governmental real estate, um, as well as other business products and services. Robert is the founder and president of North Star Synergies, which is an executive business development strategy firm based in Centennial, Colorado. North Star offers management, marketing, and sales consulting in the real estate industry and beyond. I know that Robert's great experience and his expertise with building projects will allow him to provide us really some great details on things that are disrupting the construction industry right now, and things are going to continue to disrupt our industry going into the future. Robert, um, welcome to Construction Disruption. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today with, with you and Seth and certainly Ryan and Ethan, and thank you for affording me the opportunity to be with you today. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Well, like me, Robert, um, you've been in this industry for a little while. I've been around about 40 years in the industry as well. Um, Before we get into what you're doing today to help your clients, um, tell me a little bit uh, or tell us a little bit about how you got started in the real estate and uh, development uh, business industry. 
Well, I was I was very, very, very fortunate to grow up in an entrepreneurial background. And um, our key family businesses uh, were in the uh, real estate construction industry. Uh, my mother's family uh, was in the uh, construction arena uh, with finishes, uh, interior finishes primarily, uh, walls, flooring, uh, et cetera. And uh, I, my father's family uh, was in the uh, wine, spirits, and real estate industry. And you might say, well, why were they in the real estate industry? They, um, they owned all of their own real estate free and clear. Uh, they learned, uh, I mean, my, my great-grandfather came to the country and started out as a peddler selling uh, spirits uh, at the waterfront in Philadelphia uh, and uh, would go to the various steel yards and other manufacturing plants and at the breaks would sell wine and spirits. And uh, as time progressed, uh, he rented a store and founded his own company. Then he bought the store, and then he started uh, leasing warehouses. Then he bought the warehouses, and then uh, he leased a plant. And then he bought the plant. And then he built other plants and other uh, real estate investments. So we actually got started as a family business in, in real estate in 1891. Our, my great-grandfather uh, could never build, beat his biggest competitor. So in 1911, 20 years later, he bought them and he bought their real estate, free and clear. They were founded in 1823. So in essence, the legacy of our corporation, uh, our family business, goes back to 1823 in the United States. Wow. So um, I was taught at an early age. I was very, very, very lucky uh, my father was third generation and uh, had the good fortune of being schooled and educated at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. And so growing up for me was an education, an education in the business and an education uh, in real estate as well. So uh, that's that's my initial uh, foray. Uh, and then later uh, in my career, uh, after my educational direction, uh, I was going into the family business, and uh, uh, at the ripe old age of uh, uh, 17, uh, going to uh, uh, a school that competed directly with Ohio State University and has for many years, the Pennsylvania State University, uh, was only one of two schools in the United States at the time that had a labor management relations program. And I'm the only one in my generation that I know of that ever stayed in one major while going to school. And it was labor management relations. And uh, it, uh, our company was being unionized. And I, my father felt that it would be good for me to get a background in that arena. So uh, I matriculated there and then uh, came back, went into the family business and realized that after a couple of years that uh, it was not necessarily going to be mine and uh, as, as the ability to move forward. So I ventured into real estate full time and uh, worked in the customer service department of the largest builder, home builder in the United States at the time. Uh, at 214 builder franchises throughout the United States. And um, Seth and, and Todd, my job was customer service. And I spent two years dealing with negativity. 
Nobody ever called except one customer in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Mrs. George, ever to say thank you. Everybody complained. And when you talk about uh, supply chain disruption today, I was in the midst of it in 1972, 73, and 74 and learned how to overcome it. And so many of the companies today just don't get it, whether they're builders or manufacturers or vendors. They don't know how to deal uh, in the negative situation <clears throat> to interrelate positive, uh, a positive spin and a positive direction uh, in order to communicate and accept responsibility immediately and share with people when you know that you're going to be late, you need to jump in and tell people that you're going to be late for whatever reason is. There's nothing more important in business than truth and fact. And as uh, Mark Twain once said, um, I never have to worry about lying when I'm always telling the truth. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So in essence, in essence, uh, my foray into construction uh, went uh, to work with uh, Ridge Homes uh, outside of the Philadelphia area. And um, I learned how to parlay my labor management relations experience in uh, quasi-collective bargaining with all of the consumers and builders and regional managers that I had to work with. And then I saw everybody, uh, a lot of people were passing me by, and I found out they were because they had graduate degrees. So I went back to school and, and earned a graduate degree uh, in management, an international graduate degree in management. And I was intrigued by the international spectrum uh, since a family business imported and exported, and I already felt that I had a leg up. So I earned a, a, a graduate degree in international management from a, the American Graduate School of International Management, which uh, the name is th the sidekick name Thunderbird uh, was has always been known as the top international graduate school for business, uh, not just in the United States, but the globe, uh, according to U.S. News and World Report and a host of other publications. And the, the University of uh, Arizona State University acquired the school after 70 years. And so I guess I am now an alumni of Arizona State University in international management. And then I went on to uh, uh, work directly uh, with a builder developer in Philadelphia. And um, we were still suffering with supply chain disruption. And lo and behold, uh, learned uh, I was thrown into the business. We couldn't uh, develop the property as quickly. And instead of handling sales and marketing right away, I jumped into purchasing. And uh, we had a, a large master plan community north of Philadelphia in Allentown, Pennsylvania, that we were launching. And I learned the business inside and out uh, from the standpoint of uh, working every day with one company, one master plan community, and developing uh, the strategies, tactics uh, to move it forward. And um, within a year, we were the number one building company in the Lehigh Valley, which is Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. And uh, you all are in the metal roofing arena. And uh, the, the company, Bethlehem Steel, almost simultaneously, the day that we opened for our grand opening for Country Crossing, Bethlehem Steel declared bankruptcy and eventually closed down its shop and went out of business. Right. So in essence, uh, and uh, I figured out 
uh, how to sell real estate and uh, how to uh, deliver an outstanding product uh, that was as customer service free as possible uh, while dealing with supply chain disruption you know, and making a difference in the marketplace. So you've seen a lot of challenges over that time. What I'm curious, what were some of the root causes of the supply chain issues, you know, back in the early 70s? Was that a lot related to the oil embargo or other things as well? So there, the anomaly that took place in, in the early 70s was the fact that, uh, yes, there was a, a gas situation that took place actually in 1973. Oil and gas uh, became extremely expensive and uh, eventually was, uh, uh, was put back to a normalcy uh, within a number of months. In 1981, uh, it, it took place again. But there was a difference in 81. Uh, and, and in fact, if you look at a gallon of gas uh, on the value of a dollar today, that same gallon of gas would be equivalent to $12.28 today. Hmm. And most people don't understand, um, but needless to say, to, to jump into the, the disruption situation, uh, the perfect building boom took place. We won't call it a storm. We could call it a storm of excitement uh, and profit. And what happened was that there was such a big building boom worldwide, the building materials were, were just difficult to get a hold of. There was not a problem, uh, for example, with paints and certain glues uh, and, and vinyls, you need rosins. And we're having a, a, a rosin shortage now. And we're having a glass shortage. And we're having so many different, and a chip shortage, of course. Uh, we didn't have that. We had manufacturing plants moving at full full speed. And, but as a result, uh, the American economy was doing so well, shipping building materials all over the world, that we didn't have enough for our own families and our own customers. And also what happened, uh, the, uh, many of the countries uh, started buying our lumber as a commodity and would be willing to pay much more than we were. And most people don't realize that uh, the harbors in Japan were filled. Uh, their warehouses were not warehouses like you know uh, in, in Ohio uh, or the rest of the country. The warehouses were in the water. They would actually designate areas in the harbor ports where they would just drop the lumber in and seal it before they dropped it in, and it would stay there until they needed it. Mm. So they were buying futures. The other thing that uh, you may recall, and Seth, uh, you might have had some friends who had homes built before 72. And as I'm looking at your face smiling, you can remember walking into a pink bathroom and getting scared because you don't want to be called a sissy. You know, and so in essence, uh, in 19, at the end of 72, actually beginning of 73, white became a standard building product uh, in bathrooms and um, powder rooms throughout the United States. And why? I was closing homes with a Bayberry Blue a water tank for a water closet for a toilet. A tank top might have been pink. The toilet seat could have been gold and the basin could have been ebony. And all of the colors were standard. There was no extra charge. It was just a question of saying, I want an all black bathroom or I want an all black toilet. And we would deliver it. And then we couldn't because we couldn't find these colors. So everything became standardized. 
Also, if you go into that 1972 or 71 home and you pick up the, the carpet, you'll find number, number one tongue and groove oak flooring beneath the carpet. And why? It was a standard product. But in 1973, it was no longer a standard product because we couldn't get the oak flooring. It was being shipped all over the world. And as a result, uh, there, the carpet became more of a standard feature, and it was a, a bonus or an extra in those early days. And then it became standardized because the mills could create carpet very quickly. So much that when we transitioned, uh, we offered all of our customers carpet. And we had poppy red carpet. We had sea foam blue carpet. We had all these imaginable carpets and trying to, and, and then the customers started to realize that it didn't look so good because they had all these different carpets in all the different rooms. So then we had to standardize the hallways and the open areas uh, uh, in different uh, opportunities to buy the carpet versus uh, the bedrooms. The bedrooms are easy. But when you when you have all the different variegation of carpets, a lot of customer service issues would take place. So uh, these and I can go on and on. I mean, it, it wasn't just one product. It was every manufactured product. It was roofing. It, it, it happened to be windows and doors. Uh, of course, appliances. Uh, you know, everybody talks about the gourmet kitchen. I was closing kitchen. I was closing homes with kitchens that had Whirlpool, General Electric, Gibson, and Amana uh, appliances in the same kitchen. And we would call those, well, you're getting a gourmet kitchen. And the customer would say, well, I want it all one brand. So in order to appease them, uh, we learned about the art of substitution. And we also decided as a corporation to, of course, deliver equal or better. And in most instances, because of the supply chain disruption at that time, we always increased the value of the products that were in that were in short or not being able to be delivered uh, due to either shortages, misshipments or damages. And now we see the same thing. Uh, happening in supply chain disruption, you know, and um, we see closings taking place today uh, with a lot of substitutions. And even to the point where you can't close a home uh, without a range. You need a range in order to pass a, a or to receive a certificate of occupancy. So we're seeing ranges and other appliances put in uh, that are refurbished. And when the, the new appliances can come, we're taking out the refurbished appliances and installing the new. So it's, uh, there's a lot, I mean, I can spend literally, Todd, talking to you for hours just about the, the correction uh, and, uh, of, of uh, uh, supply opportunities. Very interesting. So how long back in the 70s, how long did that take to work its way out of a system? And did it actually require a, a decline in number of home builds to do that? And what do you think is going to be happening here as far as, you know, how long this will last and when we'll get out of it? You know, it, it was a what you and I would call a petering effect. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a lot of uh, changes that were also going on uh, internationally with various countries. And a lot of, of uh communities, projects, commercial buildings, and campuses uh, were stalled. 
Uh, one interesting statistic that I can share with you is that the supply chain was so deep that if you took every uh, every uh, country uh, from Iran back through France and England and you lined up all the construction vehicles, uh, one of the building scientists had shared uh, in a study that you you would have cars, uh, construction vehicles, uh, loaders, etc., lined up all the way from Tehran, Iran, to Paris, France, and left over. I mean, it was just, that's how much activity. So the activity started to slow down, and not to a great degree, uh, but at the same time, we went through an economic, uh, I guess you would say another trough, where uh we slowed down economically in the United States, and we were able to catch up in the mid-70s. By 76, we were in another recession. Right. And at that point, the manufacturers were able to, uh, to really catch up. Uh, there was a lot of remodeling going on, etc. So what happened was, uh, over the last 18 months, the figures have been changed as far as the building boom in the United States both the National Association of Realtors and the National Association of Home Builders has revised its forecast to indicate that we'll be in uh, a very, very uh, long-standing upside uh, to, to the construction industry through uh, 2029. 2029. And why? There is not enough housing for uh, Americans. A lot of the housing is becoming obsolete. We, uh, as an industry, have been building homes the same way for 80 years. And as a result, there's an obsolescence curve, the same way that, you know, we can talk about uh, different products and services. Uh, cars uh, are often made to last three, four, or five years, depending upon the components that are put in. Uh, many of the building materials uh, need reparation. And one of the, the big things that we've also learned, uh, and there'll be a lot of contradiction to what I'm going to share with you, uh, but customer service is not the same as it was many years ago. We're not delivering homes that are defect-free as we did many years ago. I could never go to a closing uh, with a shortage or, or a product that wasn't included. I could never go to a closing unless the customer signed off uh, on, on the warranty. Uh, that making sure that everything was right, because we realized early on in, in, in business that when you have satisfied customers, they will reduce your marketing expenses. And the companies that I work for were, are very, very, very intelligent. So we would never, the last thing you'd want is a customer to move into a home, you know, who, who's complaining for the next three weeks, four weeks, four months, six months. You'll never turn them around. But when you deliver a product like you gentlemen that's do, point. Uh, that's, that's to the standard of the excellent specifications that you, you share, you don't have as much problem with customer service. And so what, what happens is that, you know, I, I was trained by some of the best people in business. I mean, I, my father was amazing, uh, just a, an amazing, amazing gentleman. Uh, least materialistic person I ever met and the most organized individual and ran an amazing plant. My father-in-law was chairman of the board of a family business of glass uh, fabrication companies. He had 16 plants throughout the United States. 
And every time I would go to my father and ask a question, uh, I'd, I'd always go to my father-in-law and ask the same the same question when it dealt with business. And I never told them that uh, I was going to talk to both of them. And as funny as it might sound, they were both graduated from the Wharton School of Business. Both grew up in family businesses, different businesses. Their answers were exactly the same. And when you, when you you know that you're doing something right, you don't worry about doing something wrong. When you're on the right path, excellent uh, outcomes occur. So the, the change today, what's so different is that there was a panic amongst all the manufacturers. There was a panic among all the distributors. And why? Because they didn't know how to handle supply chain disruption. They didn't know how to sit and tell the customers the truth. As a sales manager, Seth, you know, that's what your customers are looking for. The more, you know, the, the more that you can communicate. And I've had this discussion uh, with the largest one of the uh, the executives in Colorado of the largest uh, supply chain companies in uh, in the United States and frankly the the world, and I said to him, he said he, he, we had a discussion, we're catching up, and he said I asked him how everything was going, he said we just don't know what to do, and I said what you need to do is call your customers every day, and I said well he said to me well why would we call every day, I said. Why do your children need your love? Why do your children need your trust? Why do your children need your support? Well, because I'm raising them. Hmm. And I said, it's the same thing with your customers. They need to hear from you. When they don't hear from you, they think the absolute worst. Now, you know, if if you let them know that you're going to call every other day, you know, or twice a week, you know, that's okay too. As long as you're communicating with them, and letting them know exactly what's going to happen. I spoke to Jeff several months later, and I said, how's everything going? He said, well, you know, we've got longer time deliveries for windows and doors now from all the major manufacturers. And I said, and how are your customers taking it? He said, because we've communicated, like you suggested, you know, they realize that we're not the only supplier that's running into these issues. And they appreciate our communication more than you can imagine. So that's fantastic. Good advice. You know, and, and it's and the other thing is you won't lose those customers. My father had a theory that one third of your customers you'll always keep, Seth. One third will be in transition. And one third you're never gonna get. So when you realize so when you realize you may not have the opportunity to enjoy uh, the business, the least you can do is ask for referrals. And always ask for referrals, uh, whether it's a longtime customer uh, or a customer in transition. The more you communicate, the more you ask for business, the more you introduce your outstanding products and, and service, the more business you're going to write. And you're right. And, and that communication is a real differentiator in today's marketplace, whereas I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago was the norm. Today, it's the differentiator for companies that makes them stand apart. So good stuff. You, you had mentioned how, you know, housing and, and building hadn't really changed in 80 years. And, you know, we're facing a situation coming up where we've got um, a lot of obsolete housing stock. And, of course, we also look at the numbers in terms of consumers and aging consumers. So we see the housing shortage that's occurring and going to continue. What are some of the things that 
um, you think going forward, property owners, homeowners are really going to be looking for that perhaps are going to be new to construction and to housing? You know, well, the things that are new uh, are not so new. It's a question that uh, what we learn in life, and, and you'll, you'll smile again, engineers think their products and services are the very best and that they'll sell all by themselves because they created it after doing countless hours of research, uh, laboratory work, design, re, uh, replanning, restaging, and finally delivering a great product. It doesn't work that way. If you don't let people know you're in business, you're not going to develop the business that you can. So there are a lot of, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, when we talk about uh, solar application, there, there's passive solar and there's active solar. And I, as I learned from one corporation many years ago, uh, active homes are for passive people and passive homes are for active people. So with a passive home, uh, you let the sun do its work. With an active home, uh, there's a lot of application where uh, you, you may manually uh, run around moving uh, shades, uh, putting shutters on, on the, uh, the windows uh, to uh, restore the sun. Uh, there's just a lot of different applications. And active uh, also gets involved with electronics. And uh, we were very, very fortunate uh, to always be on the cutting edge and still are today. Uh, when you read some of the information uh, about me, it was probably from an older uh, area. Uh, next month marks the 50th year that I've been in business wow. in the construction industry. And in the, the process, uh, solar is not new, you know, and, and solar will become more uh, indicative. Uh, we're working with one architectural firm called Danelian Associates, that's a 53-year-old company. They're in Irvine, California. They work in 44 states and 15 countries. And they're doing a, a community. Actually, uh, in Lancaster, uh, California, they're working with six different parcels uh, that all feed back into one, uh, one grid so that everyone can share electricity and everyone can share uh, the direct gains from the sun. It, a total of about 500 homes in these six communities. And they'll all be pulled together uh, and work the energy. So, for example, if I don't use as much energy as Seth and you don't, uh, Seth's gonna ha going to have that energy because it's a net zero program and we'll all be able to share the energy with one another. There's a tremendous amount of uh, uh, products that are being developed right now. Um, I was very fortunate to get involved with the National Association of Home Builders in 1983. I, I received, uh, I went to the International Builders Show and received uh, an outstanding award uh, as the Director of Marketing and Sales of the Year. And uh, I found out later that I was the youngest person ever to receive the award. And I was coming off the stage uh, having received this award, and a gentleman by the name of Bob Oyer from Kansas City, uh, a native Frenchman who came to Kansas City as a builder developer, and he came over to me and he said, you, uh, this is uh, such a great award. Now that you've won this award, the real gift is to give back, give back to the industry and get involved in the industry. And I took it to heart. And one of the key things about the changes 
uh, one of the things he said, always adapt change. When I was a, a graduate student in, uh, in graduate school, I learned that the most important word in business is flexibility. And between Mr. Boyer and school and growing up in the family business, I learned that you have to look for other changes. And in 1981, I created the first parade of homes on behalf of your Department of Energy of the United States of America. And we had 10 homes in 10 different price points scattered throughout Metro Denver. And I worked with the Solar Energy Research Institute of the Department of Energy, which became the National Research Energy Laboratory. Uh, created a program with 10 different builders. And every one of those builders, when I was put in charge of this promotional opportunity, I sat down with them all. And I said, standard materials don't cut it. We have to be on the cutting edge. Our customers that are going to come to this show, we want them to steal a few bright ideas. They're all not going to be able to buy new homes. And this was 1981. And I recognized right away that the more innovation that I could create, it would stop and slow down the customers to really understand all the opportunities. And when I tell you, you know, about uh, Russian fireplaces, you might ask me, well, what's a Russian fireplace? Do you, do you know what a Russian fireplace is? I, I do not. I am curious now, though. You lose in a masonry built fireplace on an exterior wall at 19 degrees, you lose the, the benefit, the efficacy of that fire. Sure. It's the only thing you're getting is a mental benefit. And as a result, you know, a psychiatric benefit uh, does not do well when it's 15 or 10 degrees below zero. And a Russian fireplace is actually built in the center of a home. Okay. And it's built in the center so that it radiates heat. And um, we started integrating a lot of different technologies from all over the world uh, for this, this campaign. We had one builder by the name of John Karowski who would be a great interview for you. John is literally the father that built Green Movement in the United States of America. I don't know any builder that's received more accolade than John Karowski, 303 972 8680. Operators are standing by right now at 303-972-8680. John is the president of Karowski Development and Karowski Custom Homes and Remodeling. And John was building in one of our communities that I was marketing and selling and uh, was the most advanced builder uh, of the day. And he's still building today in 2000. 21. And, and here we were, uh, and we were integrating, uh, before there was Energy Star appliances, we were looking for and the equivalent of the best appliances. We were looking for the benefit of the best uh, types of building materials that would absorb heat inside the building. And uh, we, we also looked at window placement. And uh, you can save a tremendous amount of energy uh, just by placing a home correctly on the building site so that you're picking up direct gain from the sun. We learned uh, just a whole host of little things that in working with uh, the energy companies, the water companies, uh, the water districts uh, that we were able to integrate. We studied what was going on in Sweden, in Germany, 
with regard to energy conservation and the building materials. Triple pane glazed windows. Our builders weren't quite ready for that, but those were being created, you know, 50 years ago. You know, and uh, we were we were lucky at that point, just becoming uh, in a code to go from single pane glazed windows to dual glazed dual pane glazed windows. But the changes that have evolved today, you know, are striking. And yeah, the wind yes, the windows and and doors uh, are much better today. And there, there is a tremendous amount of product development through corporations like Anderson and Pella and Marvin. Marvin said, you know, they're all great companies and there's so many more. Uh, and when you start to evolve, one of the things that I would tell the audience today, uh, always go to the, to the manufacturer and ask for their research and design material. Why are they delivering the product that they are today? What are the consumers telling them? Seth, as you take note, uh, I'll, I'll share an adage with you. If the suppliers don't like, if, excuse me, if the customers don't like your product, they'll let you keep it. We constantly do research. We constantly uh, want to understand how a product is being used and how it can be improved upon. We also want to make sure that, uh, you know, that we're integrating service uh, into a program that's unbelievable. But what are the changes in the products today? Uh, uh, Mr. Rashkin, Sam Rashkin, uh, who was with the, uh, uh, the EPA for many years, the Environmental Protection Agency, founded Energy Star uh, with the team there. And isn't it interesting? Energy Star was designed by the EPA, not the Department of Energy. Then he created WaterSense. Then from WaterSense, he created Indoor Air Plus. And in each of the uh, of the promotional campaigns uh, that he introduced, you know, it's following guidelines, it's following protocols that can be integrated into the home, into the commercial building. And what do we see today? We see a lot of improvements uh, in all the mechanical systems. We see a lot of upgrades uh, and and standardization in electrical, plumbing heating, venting, air conditioning, air purification. Uh, if it's one thing that the market's taught us over the last 20 months um, is, is basically, you know, to take care of your existing home. We're spending so much time indoors today, 90% of the time that we spend uh, in each day is spent indoors. And yet, you know, are our, our, our um, furnaces up to speed? Are they doing, are they delivering the right air purification throughout the home, throughout the commercial building? And we found study after study, uh, and this goes back to my labor management relations. There were studies that were done with Western Electric uh, many, many years ago that revealed the same things that we're having today. When you have in bad indoor air quality, your workers do not perform. You and I would call that the Dove theory. So why would we have uh, mediocre homes? Why would we have mediocre commercial buildings? And finally, there's a wake-up call. And, it, and the, one of the uh, outcrops or benefits or the silver lining of the COVID situation is the fact that we're improving all of our mechanical systems. There are companies, uh, Wellness Within Your Walls, great corporation, 
uh, we, we've uh, helped the company launch and, and work through uh, various marketing and management opportunities. Another great interviewee uh, is Jillian Pritchard Cook. And Jillian uh, is setting the stage uh, and has been for years. And about five years ago, she began to launch Wellness Within Your Walls that helps you understand the toxins that are in your homes, the, the chemical off-gassing that's taking place. Our, EP, our, our government only has about 30 different uh, items that they, they say, whoa, those things are bad for you. There's 88,000 bad chemicals and toxins. And Jillian worked with builders and developers and manufacturers throughout the United States and also the globe, uh, instructing them. And how did she get involved? She had a wake-up call, uh, I, and she shared the story with me uh, about five and a half years ago. And uh, we were both at a National Association of Home Builders meeting, and I saw her. She's a, she's a top-notch, uh, acclaimed uh, international and national interior designer, has had her own firm for decades. And I saw her in a leading supplier council. You might consider jumping into that as well. A uh, great group of people, uh, about 100 companies, uh, national. And there was Jillian at the National Association of Home Builders meeting for leading supplier council. And, and you know, we spoke afterwards. I said, gee, you know, how come you were in this meeting? You know, I would have expected you to be in design or whatever. She said, well, Robert, she said, uh, I had environmental cancer. And uh, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. And, uh, and I said to her, what can I do to help you? She said, well, what do you mean? I said, I'm on a, on a flight right now uh, on, on, a, on a movement, you know, to overcome uh, anything dealing with the environment in the sense of improving it. And she said, well, why? I said, uh, I, too, had just gone through environmental cancer. And I was diagnosed and um, I had uh, cancer in my kidney and uh, the, the uh, doctors had done a, a routine check with me and found that uh, I spent a lot of time walking construction sites, sawdust, drywall, paint. And they told me that, uh, you know, they asked me how my sales were. I said they, they were really great. They said we would hope so because, unfortunately, now you have environmental cancer. And um, I put it into, I had it taken care of, put the cancer in remission. And um, now for five, a little bit more than five years, I've been working with Jillian to promote wellness uh, all over the globe. So as part of that, you're working with manufacturers and then also builders and helping them how to figure out how to build healthier buildings. Absolutely. And the key, you know, it's interesting uh, when you, when you look at the evolution, you know, of different trends over the last 40 years. Uh, when I did the energy conservation, uh, the we call it the Solar Energy Research Institute Parade of Homes. Uh, I didn't share with you, there was so much interest at the time. And how many people do you think came uh, to, to in a, just in a two week uh, visitation of 10 homes scattered throughout metropolitan Denver? How many people do you think came out oh, in 1981? Golly. I would guess a quarter of a million. Maybe I'm high. You're, you're high. But if you can imagine, we had well over 125,000 okay. okay. people, which was huge. Right. I mean, these builders, they were lucky to get 20, 30 people a week you know, as independent uh, builders. And here, you know, in two weeks, we had over 125,000 people. 
But the key with the program was energy. And because of Colorado, we looked at water conservation as well. Most of our water leaves the state and feeds the Midwest and the Southwest. And as a result, uh, water conservation is very, very important in, in the Rocky Mountain region. And the, the next wave that we did, uh, we found that not only energy and water conservation and design trends, but we jumped into, started jumping into smart technology 30, over 30 years ago. And from smart technology, we continued to enhance it. Then we went into universal design. And you had Rosemary Rossetti as a guest. I put together the program for Rosemary. And uh, in doing so, uh, I helped raise a tremendous amount of money. And, and through material, in-kind service, uh, and, and some contribution uh, uh, of certainly time and, uh, and, and kindness. But the, the real key was delivering state-of-the-art, delivering a home uh, that could be used as a testing uh, environment as well as an educational environment. And with all of these things, it became apparent uh, to continue to educate uh, not only the building industry, but every industry that relates to, uh, to construction whether it be hospitality, resort, recreation. And then we spun into health and wellness. And through the, the, the work that we've been doing, uh, the silver lining of COVID is that so many people want to improve their existing homes. So we're seeing a better lifestyle. We're seeing a better lifestyle indoors uh, with regard to a lot of products. Uh, we're seeing a change in design. One of the other points that uh, you'll see changes with, uh, more pantry closets are being integrated. Uh, most people don't know how the powder room uh, became uh, a standard feature in almost every home. And that took place in 1918, if you can imagine. Uh, people didn't want other people to come into their home. They had vestibule airlocks or entry airlocks. They had uh, porches. And then uh, delivery people would come and want to use the facilities. And so they started putting water closets and, and sinks uh, in a room, and they called it a powder room. Right off the front hallway a lot of times. Right yeah. off the front hallway. You're correct, Todd. And as a result, you're, you're seeing more changes today, uh, not only in the pantries, but you know how many of the cabinets, when you look in most kitchens, there's about 18 inches to 24 inches to the top of the ceiling? from where the cabinets break. Now the cabinets are being extended all the way up to the top of the ceiling right. to store canned goods. There was just an alarm that, uh, that took place over the last couple of days where the media is saying that we may have food shortages because uh, of uh, uh, the, the inability to get uh, so many goods and services uh, transported. Uh, today, we have another issue, uh, and I'm digressing a little bit, but we have a, a shipping issue. 20%, there's a 20% demand for truckers. Many of the truckers left and went into other industries. Right. The ports are 11% down uh, on, on employees to, uh, to help the harbors, to help the shipments uh, coming in or leaving the harbors. And as a result, uh, there are, uh, there's a slowness of delivery of goods and services. So, each of these things, we're seeing more uh, areas integrated into the design of homes as it relates to storing areas. Uh, we're seeing um, the opportunity uh, to open parts of the home 
to put in material. And when the door is closed, the door automatically locks. We're seeing a lot of uh, uh, integration of locks uh, being created throughout the entire home. We're also seeing uh, the use of more wood flooring in the homes. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of really great products uh, being introduced uh, for uh, uh, stone uh, and, and various aggregates uh, being built back into the home. Brick coming back into the homes as well in, the, in interior walls and creating a, a feeling of comfort. But the real key, and we're also seeing this is going to be another interesting trend. Uh, we're seeing panic rooms. Uh, unfortunately, crime has been on the rise, and we've had panic rooms forever. Uh, I've, I've been dealing many of the communities we've built and sold over the years uh, and marketed for other builders and developers were in the upscale uh, price points and are today. And uh, we had a number of homes that had panic rooms built into them. And so uh, it's just another wave of concern uh, with our socioeconomic direction in our country. So what's a panic room, I have to ask? If you know that you're, you're about to be um, robbed or burglarized uh, or somebody's invading your home, instead of going confronting them, you go into a, a private room that nobody has uh, the ability to instead enter. A secure room, right. It's completely secured. Interesting. And uh, you have the ability uh, using separate uh, phone equipment, separate communication, separate heating, uh, venting, air conditioning, um, electrical plumbing, completely separate from the rest of the home. So if anything is tampered with outside of that room, you've got a freestanding uh, building. And uh, you also, in some of the panic rooms, have, have ability to get to the exterior uh, without anybody knowing. Um, but it's... It's a secured environment. Gotcha. And it's completely, I mean, walking through a home, you would never know that this room exists. So are you finding builders are receptive to a lot to these new things? Are you finding some resistance from builders? There's always resistance. Yeah. Uh, that most people don't understand. Uh, prior to the pandemic, it would take in a major market, a major metropolitan area, 75 different companies just to work with and try to manage as a, as a builder to build a home. Now, because of the supply chain disruption, it's more along the lines of 125. Right. Uh, because you're, I mean, the only companies that you're really working with consistently on, on one project are typically your mechanical companies because nobody will warrant somebody else's work. So as a coming in and doing electrical, plumbing, HVAC, you'll probably stay in tune with one corporation to build that one home. But what's happening now, as I shared earlier, you, you can't get a stove maybe from company A. I mean, frankly, uh, the, the folks at GE and Whirlpool have always been uh, the number one and two suppliers of appliances. They're losing a lot of market share because they, they don't have the chips, they don't have the products uh, and the supplies coming in from China that they, held, they, they, they depended upon so much. And you're seeing companies reemerge or emerge to a greater height. Uh, Samsung, LG Electronics. Uh, are you familiar with a company called Beko Blumberg? I do not think so. Beko Blumberg is the second leading supplier of appliances in all of Europe huh. and the number one in the United Kingdom. And where is their, their international global headquarters? 
in Turkey. Hmm. And they manufacture in Turkey and Thailand and just announced uh, that they're going to be building plants in the United States. Okay, so we'll be hearing that name more then. Absolutely. And if you'd like to visit with uh, uh, the gentleman who is the North American president of the company, I'd be happy to introduce you to Zach Elkin. That would be neat. And Zach has been a, uh, a tremendous uh, uh, industry leader uh, in innovation and design and appliances, having worked with so many different companies over the years. I first met him years ago at Sears when he was uh, working uh, in the Sears appliance division nationwide. Just a wonderful gentleman, very, very keen, very bright and very innovative. So you're going to hear more about them along with a lot of other international players uh, because we need uh, we're looking at change. What I didn't share with you about the Russian fireplace, uh, and this is important, not only does it heat the interior of the home, but you use kindling wood rather than logs. And it's an 18 inch by 12 inch um, usually opening. And what's different about it, it doesn't come, uh, the flue just doesn't come straight up uh, through the home. It works on a series of chambers uh, as it goes up, and it radiates the heat back into the masonry, usually a brick or a stone on the outside of the, the fireplace that continues to radiate heat throughout the entire home. Makes every bit of sense, and they've probably been doing it for hundreds of years, and, and yet makes every bit of yeah. sense. Over 200, almost, I think it, it, it'll be 300 years shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, an engineer brought it to the United States uh, in, in the late 70s and started working with the students at MIT. His name is Basilio Lapashenko. And uh, John Kurowski uh, integrated a fireplace uh, into a, a special idea home that we did uh, with John in 1982, a uh, year after the, um, the first uh, event that we did for the Solar Energy Research right. Institute. And uh, I mean, even in, the, you know, you're going to, we talk about the evolution of building products and design. Uh, you're seeing uh, the homes growing a little bit more. Uh, the, the bedrooms um, are going to be a little bit bigger. Uh, there's a lot of storage area uh, in our homes. We, we do a lot of work in Australia and New Zealand, and they're minimalists. Their homes are not as big as ours. Uh, they, they're not collectors. Uh, they don't collect Mickey Mantle and, and Harmon Killebrew baseball cards, you know, and they they um, uh, they also have different seasons uh, than we often do, and their temperature is, is somewhat different in the southern hemisphere. But when you look at uh, our our products, uh, we're also using our lower lower levels more. Uh, we've always been using uh, lower levels uh, in Colorado. We would refer to them as basements back east. And now we're creating windows and doors to have ingress and egress uh, in these lower levels. They're no longer seven feet, eight feet. They're 10 feet high from floor to ceiling. And um, you're, we're planning to integrate better uh, utilities uh, into these areas and environments as well. So we have more living space. And we're also seeing, of course, more workspace at home. Remote working is becoming uh, more uh, to the norm. So we're seeing several different offices created in homes as well. Right. And there's a, there's a, just a lot of different things. Um, we're also seeing bidets return to the bathrooms. Uh, they were never a big hit in the United States, more European, but we're seeing uh, that. We're also seeing technology 
I had the good fortune uh, to help develop um, the strategy uh, for um, Disney's city called Celebration, a 5,000-acre master plan community inside Disney World. And uh, we were very lucky to uh, to earn the opportunity to create the policy and f- procedure manual. And we even had plans uh, through the, ho- the local hospitals uh, to test. Uh, we were testing at home in those days uh, the uh, the urination and feces. And now they today you can have testing done automatically from the, the comfort of your own water closet directly to a hospital. Hmm. So there's there's a lot of innovation uh, or, or a medical center. There's a lot of innovation that's taking place, uh, and we're learning more um, about our health and wellness uh, through our our own personal waste. So as a result, uh, you're you're going to continue to see technology, uh, you know, creating wonderful things. I had an opportunity that, um, <clears throat> last week to meet a corporation from Edmonton, uh, Canada, uh, called Levin. Very smart home technology. We've already been working with another company called Swidget out of Toronto, uh, and uh, they were the uh, key award winner last year uh, for um, global innovation through the National Association of Home Builders. And they have modules uh, that you put in a duplex receptacle plate where they can test uh, the humidity, the temperature, uh, movement going on uh, throughout the home. And you can use this material. You, Todd, could be at your your manufacturing plant. Steph could be out here in Denver, uh, and want to, you both want to know what's going on in your home. You just use your app, and you can tell, you know, if anybody is walking around your home that shouldn't be walking around your home. You know, and they're developing camera-sensitive uh, material as well. So you're going to see a lot of evolution. You're going to see more concrete homes built. Uh, in the next three and four years, more alternative solution. Uh, another company that we work with, RSG3D, um, there they won a Global Innovation Award several years ago, and I met the the principal owner of the company, Ken Callagher, who would be another great uh, interviewee. And Ken uh, is is uh, was a financier for many years on Wall Street. Saw this opportunity come across his desk and bought the corporation. So that's. Three, 3D printed homes? Uh, the 3D printed homes are good. What the difference is between the 3D and this one, uh, this one uh, the, has been tested at the University of California's um, structural engineering department. The, the walls, when installed correctly, withstand earthquakes beyond a, ni- a 9.0 or greater on what? the Richter scale. Goodness. They have a two-hour fire burn. Windproof. Uh, the folks in, uh, in Kentucky just went through a horrible mm-hmm. situation, let alone the other five states. They're, the buildings that RSG3D has withstand winds up to 300 miles an hour and more. And they don't uh, – the other thing, uh, those of you who like spiders uh, coming in your home at 2 o'clock in the morning, no vermin or insects can penetrate the walls and the foundation. And then mm-hmm. – then we ran into another company that creates concrete molded homes. And I saw them on LinkedIn and I introduced them to NEHB. And um, they uh, are just, uh, the, the finalists were announced this week. And Huga Technologies from Cordoba, Argentina uh, is now a finalist uh, for their molded concrete homes. 
And so you're going to continue to see this type of technology. You're going to see more hemp uh, being reintroduced into walls in the United States and building products that will withstand uh, more of the, the this uh, cataclysmic uh, weather situations that we do have and will continue to have. I liked your point earlier. Yeah, that, I mean, guys who are being reluctant to adopt some of these new technologies are going to be left behind because there are a multitude of factors forcing them. Uh, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, it takes time too, because you're, sure. you know, you are working with so many different companies, you know, and you, you, who do you trust and, and, you know, how do you know which is the right company to integrate? You have to do your research. And uh, as a result, you know, I'll never forget uh, I, I, and this is, this has stayed with me forever. Um, in 1990, I launched, uh, the, an upscale residential neighborhood, uh, in the Denver metro area called the preserve. And, uh, we admitted 15 builders to build in the, into the community. And, uh, I sent out the agreements to all the selected builders and I kept calling this one builder and he said, Robert, I'm not going to sign the agreement until I know that Alan has signed it. And, and Alan was a top builder who was the most litigious builder that you could ever meet. Uh, Alan Brandt uh, was, you know, as a builder, uh, was just a quintessential businessman. And he would pour through every contract or agreement and just make sure that it was correct, you know, and it, and it met the needs of his company and what was fair. And uh, so David said, as soon as you let me know that Alan signs a contract, I'll sign it immediately and drop it off immediately. Because if I know if Alan signed that agreement, I know it'll be good for me. You know, but if you find, you know, you, you have to vet, you have to determine, you know, David's research was Alan Brandt, you know, but for the most part, you know, how much research do people really do? And when there's an evolutionary change, uh, this company, RSG3D, it's a 28-year-old company product-driven, not market-driven. Huga Technologies that I just spoke about, 79 years from Italy to Argentina. You know, and, and you know, it's like, tell me your story. Hmm. You know, if you don't share advertising, you know, it just doesn't work. Do you think a lot of the uh, disruptors and, and influences coming up are going to be coming from overseas? Uh, you seem to have a good tune in on a lot of overseas companies, which is fantastic. Yeah, I, there, there's so much that, that, of course, we learned from Europe. I mean, Europe is much older uh, in, in a sense. I mean, as a, as a country, of course, we were founded in 76 and had a tremendous uh, European influence. And Europe has never stopped being cutting edge, especially in the construction industry. So there is so much excuse me, to learn uh, whether it's Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, of course, Germany, France, uh, England, United Kingdom, uh, and so on. And then we have the Scandinavian countries that are so steeped in technology. Uh, our MIT in Europe is the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. And there's so much to be learning uh, from um, all of these different areas around the globe uh, that are very proactive. Uh, and we're also, uh, you know, we've, we've had uh, certainly over the years, decades and decades uh, of uh, companies through Japan and South Korea and certainly China that have mimicked uh, what goes on here. You know, we're still the number one technologically driven uh, country in the world. 
Uh, but at the same time, we've got a lot of innovation uh, that's being uh, brought to our attention from other parts of the globe. You know, this has been fantastic, and we're really kind of pushing up the end against the end of our time. I'd love to have you back sometime. Um, this is just your wealth of information. I have to ask, you're, you're such a high-energy guy and, and full of enthusiasm. Any secrets for where you get that from? Uh, it's called a gene. <laughs> so so it's been it's been hered inherited. It's yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um I I had the the greatest parents any kid could ever want. Uh my father was a tremendous educator. Uh my mother uh encouraged us to learn. Uh and, and it it was just, you know, a great, great environment. That's neat. And um great supporting staff all over. But I, the other thing, I, I was very lucky to marry my best friend hmm. and not get caught up in stress and, and everything else. And, and uh, I think that I would share with everyone uh, that I've, I've learned the hard way. Uh, you need to exercise. You need to uh, eliminate uh, foods from your diet, uh, red meat if at all possible. Um, also white flour, uh, white um, refined sugar, fried foods dairy, you know, if you do that, you know, you'll maintain a, a much better uh, control of your life and uh, you need sleep, you know, and uh, every one of us is a little different and exercise and exercise and exercise. But that's, that's the, that's the, the key for me, you know, and positive. The other, the other main thing is uh, none of us has a great, a hundred percent great day every day. We're dealt with negativity. And how do you handle that? And how do you learn how to work with people and become more relaxed? And I think that uh, my pragmatic and academic education have, have really helped me in my formative years. Um, I know that I can, as a result, uh, I know that I can handle any situation and have over the years. And it's, it's trying to be um, more flexible in approach, more open to learn, and more positive, and look for a solution for everybody in a win-win world. It's not about me. It's about everybody. It's great advice. And that's, uh, that's how leaders are made and uh, good things happen. Hey, one of the things we like to do here at the end of each episode of Construction Disruption is something we call rapid fire questions. And this is a series of seven questions that we ask our guests. Um, you don't know what we're going to ask, but they can be from silly to serious, but they're just quick fun questions. All we ask is you give your first response. You up to the challenge of trying this? I'm ready for 21. <laughs> 21. Okay. Well, I got a seven, but <laughs> okay. Away we go. Favorite area of the United States? Denver, Colorado. That's Well, perfectly appropriate for you then. <laughs> what subject do you wish that you knew more about? Labor management relations, societal behavior, all, all areas that you're key in already. Yeah, you never you never stop learning to learn. Good stuff. Uh, you mentioned one of these earlier. Spiders, snakes, bats, or mice, which is your least favorite? Bats. <laughs> I hear you. Famous person alive today whom you'd love to have lunch with? Seth, Ga Seth and Todd. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days we'll make that happen. Looking forward to it. Uh, favorite summer activity? Uh, baseball and tennis. Neat. Um, prefer to read hard copies of newspapers or online? Uh, 
online. Um, okay, this one you may have already told me. It's probably it might be neither dark chocolate or milk chocolate. Dark. Okay, that's the health. More antioxidants. <laughs> that's the healthier one. Yep. Hey, this has been fantastic. Anything else you'd like to share before we close out here that we haven't covered? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm excited about coming back, and I'm available um, at five o'clock today. So we we could certainly reconvene. Uh, but I, I think that you know, for the audience, uh, what's so fascinating about the construction industry is that it changes uh, not every year, uh, and and not every three or four years. It changes every day. There is so much to learn about all the products and services. And don't limit yourself uh, to just one uh, category uh, unless it's Isaiah Industries. I think that, you know, it's, it's with, without being cute, it's really important uh, to study the market. Uh, you need to read the trade journals, whether in print uh, uh, with, with paper, you know, or hardcover or certainly digitally. And I think that uh, by staying abreast of the news, it's very helpful. I would encourage everybody uh, who's listening to get involved with their local home builders association. Uh, 650 uh, local home builders association is part of the, the National Association of Home Builders. Um, I'm reminded of e pluris unum, uh, from many one. And, and the, the, the more strength we have as an industry, the more we can accomplish uh, in, in Congress. Yep. And I think that uh, as you, you continue to uh, embody uh, the continued growth, uh, look for constantly improving uh, the products and services uh, that you're offering uh, as an audience. Uh, and and uh, I learned you know, growing up in, in, in our family business, you're never established until you've sold your last product or service. Don't assume you know, that, that you're, you're, you're on top of the world. You're on top of the world, you get kicked down very easily. Or a satchel page would say, you know, don't look back. They're gaining on you. Look forward. Be forward, you know, and grow with your business. Uh, it's certainly been a pleasure. And as you can imagine, Seth and Todd, I could spend another hour <laughs> and a half with you without a break. And it's probably been good for you uh, where we've had, uh, you know, a, a change uh, of a venue uh, with the uh, technological uh, points today. Sure. Uh, but um, I would also share with you my favorite quote, which you, you didn't ask within the seven. Uh, Somerset Mom says it best. Mediocre people are always at their best. Good stuff. <laughs> this, Thank you very much. This has been great. Thank you very much. A wealth of wisdom and, and insight. Uh, and uh, yeah, this will be a great episode for our listeners and viewers. Thank you so much, and we'll certainly do this again sometime. Um, how would folks go about contacting you if they're interested? What's their best way? It's very thoughtful of you. Our operators are standing by right now. Uh, the office is 303-500-3400, and my cell phone, and Seth, you'll like this. I spell cell for my cell phone, S-E-L-L, and that's the fastest way to get a hold of me at area code 303-601-5840, area code 303-601-5840. I'm also accessible um, typically uh, 20, well, I'd say probably 24-7, seven days a week. So if anybody wants to call on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, I'd be happy to take their calls. Email robert at Northstar Synergies, 
Robert at NorthStarSynergies.com. That's dot com. And um, we are, our offices are in the, uh, the city and county of Denver at 2000 South Colorado Boulevard, Suite 2000, Denver, Colorado, 80222. And again, our operators are standing by right now. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll have some folks contact you. It's been, been fantastic. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. Nice meeting you all. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with our guest, Robert August of North Star Synergies. We invite you, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We've got lots of great guests coming up in future weeks. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, until then, we encourage everyone, change the world for someone, make them smile, uh, bring them some encouragement, bring them hope. These are all very powerful things that we can do to change the world one simple interaction at a time. God bless. Take care. Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.